Do you feel out of touch with the production of your food? Many people do. If you feel that way, you should probably blame Jethro Tull. My name is Steve Savage, and this is Pop Agriculture. This podcast is titled, To Till or Not to Till? That is the question. We'll start with some ag and mix in some pop culture. This is Pop Agriculture, the podcast that blends pop culture with agriculture to tell the stories of the plants, processes, and people who have shaped modern crop production. A true farm-to-table connection that puts food into perspective with your passionate plant scientist host, Steve Savage. Now, you may be surprised to learn that there was more than one Jethro Tull. I'm not talking about the great 70s rock band with Ian Anderson on flute and Martin Bear on guitar. There was also an English agronomist named Jethro Tull in the early 1700s. And what Tull came up with was this idea of growing crops in nice, neat rows. And he invented a machine called a seed drill that could plant them that way. Then farmers could take care of the weeds growing between those rows using a horse-pulled plow that would till the weeds under. Tull called this whole process horse-hoe husbandry. No, not heavy horses for you music fans out there. This was the first important step, actually, in the transition towards modern agriculture, which has been a story of mechanization that actually has dramatically reduced the number of people that it takes to grow the food that we need. There are times when we romanticize old farming methods, but trust me, hand-weeding was never an attractive part of the farming lifestyle nor is it for the parts of the world where that's still the way things are done today. And it's kind of interesting to look at U.S. Census data to to track this trend. In 1790, 90% of the U.S. population was directly involved in farming. Now, in 1900, the farm population reached a peak of 30 million people in the U.S., but by that time, that was only 40% of the U.S. population. Today, it's actually something around 1% of Americans that are directly involved in farming. So Jethro Tull's ideas and the mechanization that he started really have enabled people to pursue all sorts of other careers other than working in farming. And many ways, we, we should actually thank Jethro Tull for that, not blame him. But this tillage-based agricultural system that developed really did create some problems. Now. Before the westward expansion in the U.S. and Canada in the 19th century, much of the middle of the continent was covered with what's called a tall grass prairie ecosystem. This was a biome that had been there for thousands of years and had been slowly building up the quality of the soil. So when the settlers came into this region, what they found was rich, deep, high-quality soil. And with the help of the plow and power from animals and later from tractors, They were able to convert that prairie into some very productive farmland that actually serves a major function feeding the world today. However, this taming of the prairie was very dependent on mechanical tillage of the soil. And over time, that tillage process began to degrade the quality of the soil. As the organic matter of soil declined, it lost some of its complex uh, three-dimensional structure. And uh, then in the 1930s, when there was a prolonged drought, This soil was very susceptible to wind erosion, and there was a phenomena that we call the Dust Bowl, which really involved catastrophic losses of topsoil, and actually tens of thousands of farming families had to give up and abandon their farms. 
fairly rapidly in 1935, Congress passed a law that set up something called the Soil Conservation Service to help farmers find solutions. And they found some things. They, they worked on contour plowing, making sure that you plowed in a direction that was sort of correspond to the topography of the, of the land. They, they worked on better crop rotations, on cover crops, a variety of things. And by the 40s, people were actually beginning to question the whole wisdom of tillage. Probably most famously, a guy named Edward Faulkner in 1943 wrote a book called Plowman's Folly. And a quote from that is, the truth is that no one has ever advanced a scientific reason for plowing. Well, maybe there wasn't a scientific reason, but there were a lot of practical reasons that people depended on it. It was, as we mentioned, the way you controlled the weeds. At the end of the season, the farmers would turn under the residue of the crop, the stalks and leaves and things that were left after harvest. And then in the spring, they would prepare a nice seed bed for the next crop to be planted into. Well, that was the system, but in the early 1960s, some researchers and some innovative farmers started experimenting with an idea of what they called no-till farming. And in that system, what they would do is at the end of the growing season, you would just leave the residue from the previous crop laying on the surface of the ground, maybe chop it up a little bit, but just left there on the surface. If you think about it in a natural ecosystem, there's nothing that tills the growth from one season underground. It just lays on top of the soil. Now, then they would plant the seeds. They would drill them right through that debris. And what they had was even more sophisticated version of Jethro Tull's uh, seeding machine. And part of the reason that they were able to start doing this system is that they could control the weeds during the season with some new synthetic herbicides, which were just starting to become available in the 60s. Well, it wasn't easy, and not a lot of people were doing it, but the farmers that did manage to make a no-till system work started to see some real benefits. First of all, those residues that were left protected the ground from wind erosion and from uh, rain or snowmelt runoff. And because the soil was not being disturbed, it started rebuilding its organic matter and rebuilding its texture, what, what you often hear referred to as the tilth of the soil. And then those soils actually became better at capturing the rain that would fall. And by doing that, there was less runoff from the fields into streams. That meant less silt and less fertilizer. So it was much better for water quality. And this more higher quality soil acts more like a sponge. It could hang on to the moisture that came to it through the rains. And uh, that would give the crop a much better buffer to get through dry spells. So there were a lot of really good features that people were finding with these early no-till systems, but there were some big challenges as well. These soils that were covered by the debris warmed up slower in the spring. Uh, a nice dark tilled seedbed can absorb a lot more sunlight and warm up quicker. And when colder, wetter soil like that, it was harder to get the crop up and growing. And there were more times that the farmer would just have to go in and replant because it was too cold and wet. Also, it's not as if there was some flute player that was going to lead the pests away from these fields. These crop residues that protected from erosion also made a really good home for certain insects and certain fungal pests that could then later move in and attack the crop. So no-till had some real upsides, but it had quite a bit of risk, kind of like the risk of doing a rock band featuring a flute player. 
Anyway, the hardest part of no-till was the transition process. Well, over the intervening decades, several additional innovations kind of kicked in. One thing was seed treatment fungicides and insecticides that could help get the crop up in that really vulnerable seedling stage. That, that's a very delicate time in the, in the life of a crop. And this was also a really efficient way to deliver those chemicals because in terms of the rate per acre, it was tiny and you were putting it exactly where it was needed. The seed drills got better and better from the mechanical point of view to get the seed just exactly where it needed to be, exactly at the depth that you wanted it. The plant breeders were working on getting varieties that could handle a little bit cooler soils. And there were more and better herbicide choices coming along. Also, people came up with some variations on no-till, things they called ridge-till, strip-till, whatever. And now we kind of put those all under a category we call minimum tillage, where the idea is you just want to do as little mechanical disruption of the soil as possible. Now, in the mid-1990s, there was a real breakthrough for minimum tillage. Herbicide-tolerant crops were developed. Now, some of those were just mutations that allowed the crop to be immune to some herbicide, and some of those were done by genetic engineering. And if you look at the history of it, in every crop where this became available, farmers ended up adopting it enthusiastically. And the reason they did that is it gave them better flexibility during the early part of the season when it's kind of hard to schedule everything in the planting and the weed control. On the whole, they were getting better weed control than they had. And um, in general, they, they just had a lot more flexibility. And if you know any farmers, farmers don't adopt something that isn't good for their systems. Nobody talks them into something that isn't good for them. And so one of the other big features of this herbicide-tolerant regime is that a lot more people were actually able to shift into minimum tillage and no-till of various types. Now, as with any system, there are old challenges and new ones. And over time, some weeds end up being selected that are resistant to some of the specific herbicides that are used. Now, that's not something that is any way new to no-till or any way new to herbicide-tolerant crops. That happened before herbicide tolerance. There, there were weeds that adapted quite nicely to tillage systems. So over time, though, new herbicide options are emerging. People have found some cover crop systems that can smother out certain weeds. There's some strategic changes in rotations. Basically, you, you keep innovating to, to keep this thing moving. So fortunately, there is still progress going on in the effort to convert more and more land into uh, no-till and minimum tillage. And that's a trend that yields benefits both for the farmers and, and for the environment. So I was thinking about what, what would Jethro Tull think if he could see this today, the Jethro Tull, the agronomist? Well, you know, he was an innovator. And so I think he would appreciate the idea that innovations keep moving the bar up and moving towards more sustainable farming over time. Just as one is never too old to rock and roll, we're never going to get too old to learn better ways to do conservation agriculture. So anyway, thanks for joining this week for Pop Agriculture, and we'll see you next time. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc, at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.